What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Columbia Sportswear. It's snowing again, and that wind chill is killer. But you're not worried about that because you shop the Omni Heat Infinity Collection. It's warmth perfected with tiny gold dots that reflect your body heat inside and protect you from the cold outside. No snow or chilly temps can stop you now. Go out anyway. Shop the Omni Heat Infinity Collection now at Columbia.com slash infinity. The great cricketer is a Twitter stream. It's about playing cricket at the grade level. It's a tough, mean, dirty, dirty business being a great cricketer. A lot of cricketers, you know, that's all they know. They've mm. done it since they're 10 and they have a deep-seated fear of change. But the great cricket is all about being the most alpha version of yourself as possible at all costs and at all times. I don't bat or bowl. I just feel a gully, count the number of dot balls in a row, sledge 15 yards, make me feel better about myself. Thanks, Thanks champ. champ. Oh, no, you call me champ. <laughs> Welcome to the Grade Cricketer Podcast on today's show. Australia go atop of the World Cup with victory over Sri Lanka. Aaron Finch scores 153, but Sri Lanka's hotels don't have any swimming pools. South Africa get their campaign underway five games into the World Cup with a win over Afghanistan, a massive blow for them to lose to the tournament minnows. We'll talk about India and Pakistan. Kashmir Willow, Fatushana Hantharaja joins us from the UK before we speak to Ryan Harris about having two nicknames spelled differently on Wikipedia and having two passports. That's all before hashtag TGC. My name is Ian Higgins and I'm joined by Dave Edwards in Sydney and Sam Perry in Melbourne and boys Aaron Finch said that he was questioning everything during his form slump earlier this year and can't we all relate to that? <laughs> Great intro he goes uh, good evening to you. Good evening Dave in Sydney. All feels very formal. Mm. We should note that we're recording this just as India versus Pakistan commences, mm. so we have literally no insights to give into that match, no. which is now completed no. by the time you're listening to this. Um, 1.5 billion people are watching it, but we'll is there a World Cup on? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I haven't, I haven't been on the podcast for a few episodes. I heard you guys have been having some some good cricket chat since I've been absent. Um, haven't yeah. been watching any, so won't be able to add anything here. I'll just listen into you guys for 30 minutes. <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, 1.5 billion people watching uh, that match, but we'll just talk about Australia to kick off. Yep. Aaron Finch, he goes, mm. uh, he's kind of like, he's delightfully great cricket in a lot of ways, isn't he? He hit 153, sat at the press conference and looked everybody in the eye mm. uh, and said that uh, it didn't matter that he scored 100 as long as the team won. Mm. <laughs> and you only had to look into those eyes to, to see uh, the rank lie that it was. And <laughs> continue mm. lying for us, Aaron. Uh, he's a like is a huge key to Australia going deep into the tournament. Mm. 150 odd. That's a big knock, isn't it? That's daddy 100, 150 odd. Mm. Smith hit, what, 70 odd as well? 80, you'd call it. Mm. There's a lot of runs there. Mm. So we, we, we beat them by 87 runs. I'm just reading the results from a, from an article because, as I said, I didn't watch it. Um, was it a good game, boys? What happened? I think uh, I <laughs> <laughs> wonderful insight. I think um, I think uh, this this again highlighted that Australia are going to win the 2003 World Cup, as we've said before on this very podcast. Um, it struck me, lads, I mean, now that uh, Warner's got, got a few runs at the top of the innings as well, Finch and Smith, they're all in the top three run score uh, three three of the top five run scorers are those three Australians after that there's like there's Kawaja there's Shaw Marsh there's Maxwell who chipped in with a couple of runs in the innings but I was thinking like what England do so well in India is they have like eight guys who can bat 10 overs at like 150 runs per 100 balls and like what Australia has is some some really Good aggressive batsman at the top of the order, but then like when you got Sean Marsh coming in at what did he come in at six? You know, with like with ten overs left, it's 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 not a great fit. It's not the right fit. You know, Sean Marsh is is a wonderful player and he's had a great twelve months in the ODI side, but he doesn't fit in the team. And like now that now that Warner is back and. Uh, opening the batting It's hard to find The spot for Kawaja now as well Who is like As I said uh, One of the 
podcast during the week, no one has scored more ODI runs this calendar year than Usman Khawaja. So, like, it's tricky, but, like, the, the balance of the team isn't quite right. And, like... You know, but what does balance mean, he goes? Like, what is a balanced one-day side these days? Well, I think, like... I mean, I, I see everything you, through late 90s prison. Like, like mm. Albert Einstein said, everyone's a genius, but if you ask a fish to climb a tree, he's going to feel like an idiot. Well, Usman Khawaja is a fish trying to climb a tree with 12 overs to go in a match when he comes in, mm. same as Sean Marsh. Mm. That's what imbalance is. He's literally being asked to do something he hasn't trained to do, has never based his game around, but now for reasons of selection is doing that. Maybe there's a right. grand master plan. I mean, then to f- the flip side of that is that Dave Warner, who is probably the most explosive of the Australian mm. batsmen by way of potential. Glenn Maxwell right. has something to say about that as well. He's the anchor. So, so do we need, like, Australia's... specialists? Like, it's not, we don't need generalists anymore. We need specialised roles in mm. specific mm. positions in the batting order. Horses no, for courses it's, kind it's of shit. It's like England have, like, a thousand all-rounders. We want everything, and we want it now. We want every batsman to be able to do everything at all costs and all times. Mm. That's right. what we're asking. What, what... Well, I just want Australia to win the World Cup. I want to win the Rugby World Cup. <laughs> I want the budget to be in surplus. And then I want a ticker tape parade to welcome these heroes back to our Shores. That's what I want. <laughs> I was just thinking, you know, for instance, like who's who's a better player, uh, you know, Usman Khawaja or like Dan Christian? And clearly, the answer is that that Usman Khawaja is a better player. But in terms of what like what England can do is they they've just got these guys who can just bat for fifteen overs, and that's all they want. They just want to go, you know, r- more than a run a ball from the offset. And and Usman and Sean Marsh, they take time to get into the innings, and like and and the game has evolved. And Pez, this is to your point that that like England and India have taken the game to a new place now in, in ODI cricket, whereas Australia is still playing the same games a decade ago. And so. You know, 334 is a great score, and, and it was enough in the end. They obviously won by nearly 100 runs against a fairly weak Sri Lanka team, should be said. But, but like, it could, could, could the team be revolutionised by having, like, more, basically a team of pinch hitters, which is sort of what England does anyway? Mm. Well, I, I think everyone's starting to get onto this point. He goes, so just in the interest of sort of, like, Twitterati, um, you know, strange takes, like, let's... Let's make the case against it. And, like, okay. Dave, I think you'll enjoy this. Like, Australia are trading on aura. You know, they're mm. trading on, like, um, ghosts of successes past. And that actually does scare people. Mm. Like, the entire strategy is just, like, let's just, like, blag our way to the semis and then mm. win because we're Australia. Mm-hmm. And, like, so we have this kind of, uh, like, we're trading on aura and we're also, like, a half Galacticos team. There's about <laughs> four or five world-class players who are just who we just hope will perform mm-hmm. on any given day on, on the important day and then we'll just kind of weasel our way to that point and like our, our idea is to be like the anti-ODI side like ODI short, or any short form cricket's all about structures and defensive skills and and like um, style and gameplay and being able to be flexible whereas Australia's like hit ball machine balls really well and mm. long with great chests and levers and uh, and we've got guys that bowl extremely quickly and we have history and good highlights to show. And when that happens, you know, when, when pressure <laughs> moments happen, we'll win because of that. Oh, absolutely. It sounds like there's an element of game theory to this. Mm. Um, How so? You know, oh, I just think, you know, <laughs> states act rationally. I'm just echoing politics, Gil Merom, um, which you remember at Sydney University, Pez. Um, no, it's a zero-sum game, cricket, isn't it? And if you're, if you're wondering how... Um, how if you can trade on that aura, as you say, that Australia has, how is the other team going to? How how are you seen through the the eyes of the of your opposition when all those highlights are just everywhere on social of you know ninety nine World Cup and all, all the dominant players of yesteryear? You'd be scared going into that war, wouldn't you? Australia legitimately have this thing. Well, sorry, England have this thing legitimately where like Australia, oh geez, they've come into the World Cup in a good bit of form. You know, oh Warren is back and he's playing pretty well, and they go, oh, Steve Stark's playing quick, leading wicket taking the World Cup, and like this this. This is, the, this is the thing that, like, England... I, 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 there's, like, still a part of me that thinks, like, England could fuck it up, you know? Like, they you know, they probably won't, They probably because they are the best team, but, like, they might because they're still scared of Australia who are just... I, I don't know. I mean, Michael Vaughan did a tweet the other day where he, he, he basically announced who he thought could win the World Cup and he listed half the nations in the in the thing. Um, but it, there is, like, there is a bit of a thing of, like, the, the, the best four teams in the world are, you know, climbing away in this World Cup, New Zealand, India... 
England and Australia, um, that is more than likely going to be the top four. So, um, but like if England are legitimately scared of Australia, and it's kind of like. Uh, I don't know. If, if Australia get to the semis, you know exactly. You know, you know, you always hear that little elbow nudge. Like if Australia's in the semis, they're if they're amongst it, you, you know, they win tournaments. They're a tournament winning nation. Mm. I think the thing is though, like you, you look at that, and the bowling is still the issue. I mean, that's clearly the thing. I mean, let's let's sort of just skip to it. let's just skip right past Aaron Finch's glorious 153. Um, even though Michael Clark was saying that he was going to score 200 with about 15 overs left, and fair play to him. Um, you know, Richardson's picked up three wickets. He bowled okay, but then Berenorth comes in and he was going like 10 and over the first four overs. So, you know, we still haven't played a spin in the last two games. Ah, I don't know. The bowling, the bowling to me is like where this where this World Cup is going to be won, which makes me think that India probably have the best attack and therefore then with a great show as well uh mate there's like the, th- the thing is like in australia's defense right like these are issues that are much more historic than this tournament itself you know they've come into the tournament a bit all over the shop not only because of the smith and warner farrago but like just domestic one day cricket generally they don't really have a game style and they're cobbling it together so they're trying to draw on every intangible that they can to remain relevant. So you pro- they're probably doing as best as they can with what they've got at the moment, which makes them sound like they're you know they're scarce of resources. They're not, but I think all of the like postmortems can deal with why Australia aren't the team knocking on the door of four hundred or taking the game forward. But for now, they're just going to be a team that tries to get to that semi final and wins you know through experience and like muscle memory, like collective cultural muscle memory. And it'll be quite funny to watch, which is why everyone's caveating everything they say with, like, oh, yeah, they could knock England over on the day. I mean, England, like, have come into the tournament literally, like, the most statistically winning ODI side in history, and that's still only 70%. So you're still kind of mm. – you're still a sort of 3 in 10 shot, mm. you know, when you play them, and that's when they're playing really well. Mm. Uh, but but I do think it's, you know, it's right to ask now, like, why, why are Australia only a 30% shot, mm. you know, when they've got the resources England does? But, you know. I'll get to the semi and I'll turn it on and I'll expect Stark to go through them. Mm. Mm. Edos, um, Sri Lanka had an interesting week leading up to this uh, leading up to this game. Um, yesterday, oh, sorry, the, the day before the game was played, they had a look at the wicket and there was too much grass on it and they were worried about that. Um, they didn't talk about that after the mm. after the game because they won the toss and bowled and Australia still got three hundred and thirty. Um, and then after the game, they they didn't do a they didn't do a presser, uh, which they'll be fine for, I believe. Uh, but uh, the team manager. Uh, said that the hotels the team had been staying at lacked a swimming pool and the bus that had been throwing them around at the UK was too cramped. Um, nothing worse than false advertising in your Airbnb, is there? Uh, no, I mean, the pool never looks the same as it does in the photos, does it? I mean, <laughs> the hotel probably used a wide-angle fisheye lens to make it seem bigger. I mean, I know that's what I do when I rent my place out. Yeah. What do these blokes need a pool for anyway? You're here to win the World Cup, mm. not chill out at the hotel bar mm. sorry pool does never swim up bar can't, can't bowl today <laughs> what are they doing in the pool <laughs> just hanging around yeah <laughs> Pez have you ever used a fisheye lens for your dick pics well <laughs> well the first thought was well, I'd probably need to this podcast goes out to many thousands of people um, yeah uh, yes, in short, yes. Okay. Um, did, did anyone see anything from Sri Lanka to, to to think that they could ruin someone's World Cup by you know being like an India or uh, uh, England stuff to play Brazil and New Zealand as well? I think um, can they can they do anything? I mean, they, they had a nice opening partnership. Uh, Pereira mm. obviously uh, came out of the box nicely. Uh, Karuna Ratna nice at the top as well. Ninety seven before he hit one to Maxwell. Uh, anyone see anything from no. them? No. They can't do anything. They won't knock off a good team. One of the things about this World Cup, he goes, mm. um, is like, I say he goes because it's like Mr. Speaker or something, just for the mm. interest of the listener okay. there. I don't, not to exclude you, Dave. I just, you know, it's like it's a Mr. Speaker effect. No, but, um, you're right to do well, it. Dave, and the audience. Mm. Um, it feels like there's two tiers of player, like in the World Cup. There are the guys who are kind of in the IPL and like a real short-form specialist mm. and world-class players and you know, six or seven teams have at least kind of two or three guys who can mix it with everybody else, including the top four. But once you get through them, they fall away. Like last night, Sri Lanka were none for 115 of 15 overs against Australia. And even still, it was kind of like, 
well, you knock these guys out and once Stark comes back on, that second tier of play is really going to struggle to go all the way to 334. So, yeah, while some, I think there's been a lot of examples of teams looking threatening, like the West Indies are a probably good example of that mm. as well. They, you know, they'd be really hard to stop in a T20 match, but over 50 overs... When you, when you add up the cumulative effect of fielding and just a couple of guys who can't mix it with world-class bowlers and stuff and vice versa, they, they tend to fall away. So, so ODI cricket still finds you out in the long run, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so Australia are going to win the World Cup comfortably and they won't lose uh, mm-hmm. another game. Yeah. Um, and they'll play Bangladesh in the final. That's what, that's what we've concluded. Um, I, know, I know it is a little bit silly to talk about uh, India and Pakistan because they are playing literally now and we can't really talk about the game. But just, mm. just, that, just that history in general is actually really fascinating. I was looking at, uh, I was scrolling through the old Twitter machine before and Alan, a friend of the Brest Show, the friend Adam Collins, was saying that there were 800,000 ticket requests for a 25,000-seater capacity at this match today um, that's being played as we speak. Um, India and Pakistan actually don't play each other very often at all. And obviously there's been no cricket played in the Pakistan for a number of years and a couple of decades now, I think. Um, but that, 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 that history is like, is really, really fascinating, like politically driven, obviously. Um, but like, what's, what's so good about Kashmir? <laughs> <laughs> it's just you know, lovely mountain ranges. Um, I have no idea. Like it's got to be good. I, I presume. It's got to be good if they're like fighting. Well, you just like always want what years. you don't have, yeah. don't you? You want what you don't have. You covet what you don't have. Yeah. Yes, exactly. You can. <laughs> Which is why I'm always asking for gloves of professional players. <laughs> <laughs> I did note he goes that uh, both sides, you know, have rolled out their big guns to discuss the match as they would. 1.5 billion people watching. Mm. Um, Coley said, we can't be emotional. Ozzie Macram said, and I quote, this is the biggest thing in cricket. This can't be bigger. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm behind Pakistan for the emotional side of things there. Did you, see, just, um, did you see Imran Khan also had a, had a few things to say on, on Twitter as well, um, which I'm just strolling through now, which I thought was interesting. Um, he did like a five-pronged tweet. You know when you do a tweet that's like one of five? Like I won't read out all five because it's just a drag. But basically, you know, obviously – a statesman of, of cricket and, you know, now the Prime Minister of Pakistan, just doing five tweets on, on a game that's about to happen. Mm. He says, when I started my cricketing career, I assumed success was 70% talent and 30% mind. By the time I finished playing cricket, I felt it was 50-50 ratio. But now I tend to agree with my friend Gavaska at 60% mental strength and 40% talent. Today's role of mine will be more than 60%, one of five. He continues, today, given the intensity of the match, both teams will come under great mental pressure and the power of the mind will decide the outcome of the match today. In Safaraz, we're fortunate to have a bold captain and today he will have to be at his daring best. He goes on and on and concludes, finally, even though India may be the favourites, banish all fear of losing. Just give your best and fight until the last ball. Then accept whatever the result, like true sportsmen. The nation's prayers are with you all. Good luck. Just imagine... Like Scott Morrison coming out, <laughs> <laughs> just with his own tweet thread ahead of Australia's next match. I think all PMs should be doing this, not just ones who took three sixty odd Test wickets. Mm. It's a, it's yeah, a, like Trump v Imran Khan in a sports Twitter war would be good. Mm. Imran Khan, he'd be top three guest request for me. I know he goes last week. He said Simon Taufel, so we've only got one more. Mm. Khan Taufel, and uh, who would be the third? I'm not sure. <laughs> great, great cricketer. Mm. Great mail. I mean, lads. I mean, what do you say? Eight hundred thousand ticket requests. Mm. Apparently, there's going to be a billion people watching this mm. um, all over the world. Mm. I mean, we're in the Asian century, as you know, economically and demographically. Mm. Um, is India versus Pakistan the biggest rivalry in cricket? I mean, because obviously, I see this still through my eyes. Uh, what other eyes would I see it through? Mm. But it's Australia versus England forever. But maybe that's an outdated viewpoint. I mean, the British imperial century has passed us. Mm. We're in the Asian century. Maybe this is the biggest mm. biggest match in cricket. I mean, for mine, it's still the West Indies versus Tony Gregg. Um, and then and then after that, it's probably India and Pakistan. Mm. Um, Australia versus Australia, right, in 1992. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Glenn McGrath, Bollington, Matthew Hayden. That, that's, sort of, that's, that's sort of gear. Yeah, I mean, the, the scary thing about this, these these two nations politically is they both have you know nuclear capabilities, and I'm not just talking about Wahab Reyes and Virat Kohli, my right boys. Um, all right, that's, that is the end of the show. <laughs> I have ruined the show. Um, 
Um, let's, uh, let's let's get uh, let's get uh, let's get Fatusha and Raja on from the UK to talk about England and Australia uh, and uh, you know political climates across the world. And then after that, we're speaking to Ash's hero and all round nice guy, Ryan Harris. Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yep. It's got a high-res 120Hz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. One of the great friends of the show, Vitush Nahantharaja, joins us from the UK. He's the English cricket correspondent for Crick Buzz, one of the best followers on social media as well. Vish, lots of people in the UK are writing very uh, deeply thought pieces about how cricket isn't on free-to-air TV. We don't really understand that here in Australia. It's always on free-to-air TV. There's some paywall stuff, but really we've always been able to watch it. Uh, what's going on? Yeah, nice half volley to start. Um, what's going on? Well, I suppose basically um, way back when, when Giles Clark was uh, more involved with the ECB, he kind of signed the mother of all um, deals with Sky that essentially took cricket from free to TV to Sky Sports, which is a subscription-only service. And in doing that, because he I mean, he just saw the, the colour of the money, really, and didn't think about what it meant for the game moving forward, he basically signed away all kind of cricket rights altogether. So basically, from ITC games to all the way down to county kind of games right through to the KSL they're all shown on Sky and if you, this has been the case since the 2005 Ashes which uh, I don't know if you heard which was kind of a big deal mainly because we <laughs> but also because it kind of not only were the, were the fans packed but you know so many more people followed it on TV and cricket went from being something that you would apologise to people for to be turned into something that in this country certainly we could be proud of um, and kind of since then, cricket has moved back into that position where people don't really know about it. And part of the reason for that, or part of the blame, is put at the door of the fact that the ECB sold the rights away and as a result of, you know, lost the, the soul of the game. And and they're now fighting back to try and reclaim it with things like the 100, which um, I'm sure you've been following closely from afar, is... Um, I don't know how you describe it over there, but it's just bollocks, basically. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's that's essentially the crux of it. And, and with England being such a, with England being favourites for this World Cup and and stuff like that, there's there's talk of that while we've got the most exciting England team, or we've got a team that are on the cusp of doing something that no other England team has done before in winning a fifty over, that you know more than half the country don't know who the hell they are. And um, there's potential talk. Uh, there was a story in the Garden, in the Guardian, pardon me, written by Ali Martin um, about Sky potentially allowing the final to be shown on free to air, which you think when they're in the final would be um, all the more valuable. But um, yeah, that's just something that's being discussed at the moment. With, and well, I, I don't know if it's going to come through, but the fact that they're even having these kind of discussions is promising. I suppose, but yeah, in a, in a very long-winded answer, that's the issue with free to TV in the UK. Vish, um, second uh, easy question, uh, India and Pakistan being played at the moment. Um, can you explain the Kashmir dispute? Uh, and No. Um, you, in the last couple of days, you went from England, West Indies, uh, and then you moved up to, to the Oval to see Australia and Sri Lanka play. Now, a lot of our listeners uh, don't like us speaking up England because, um, you know, and, and why would they? And why should they? Um, but can you, can you explain what you've seen some of the differences are between the England side and the Australian side, who are, you know, realistically, they're probably both going to finish in the top four uh, into the semi-finals of this World Cup. But can you describe some of the differences that you've seen between those two teams? So, I suppose the difference that gets talked about a lot is the batting. And Australia team strangely conservative, certainly when you look beyond players like Ben Maxwell, even Warner is having a really peculiar yeah. um, World Cup. Especially coming off the back of an IPL series where he was, you know, back to the same old Warner. And um, 
Whereas England, obviously, they go kind of from top to bottom. You know, Chris Wokes is batting at three against the West Indies because they thought, well, why, why the hell not? You know, mm. and they seem to have batting all the way down, and it doesn't necessarily matter who who scores the runs because not only will they still get scored, but they'll get scored at quite a healthy rate. Whereas with Australia, you know, there was that weird situation yesterday where Sean Marsh comes in as a finisher when, um, you know, I, I get it that it's Sean Marsh and, you know, he's, he's been picked for many roles that he's been onto before in the past, but that seemed particularly weird yeah. yesterday. Um, but actually the difference that, that is going to win a tournament is in the bowling. And you look at someone like Mitchell Stark and... Uh, I don't really know what maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm totally misreading it, but it seems in Australia that you don't fully appreciate Mitchell Stark, which is crazy because you've essentially got three bowlers in one there. You've got a new ball bowler, um, someone who can come in the middle over and take wickets, and also someone who can just nail it out of death. And that is what's going to win Australia this World Cup, probably. And that is the main difference between the two sides because England. As, as much as they've set the standard in terms of one day batting, they really miss, but they really lack you know, that kind of killer instinct with the ball. They might have it a little bit with Joffre Archer, mm. but if they had Mitchell Stark, they'd be one of the greatest um, ODI sides of all time. And I, I have no qualms in saying that. And the main thing there would be Mitchell Stark rather than the batting. Right. Just to continue the earnest cricket chat, Vish, one thing that England are really good at uh, or have been superior to Australia at is middle over bowling, particularly through Adil Rashid, you know, a great, you know, mystery spinner is a, a, a loose, like bad descriptor cliche term for it, but basically well, he can mystery, bowl. No, mystery spinner means he's brown, doesn't it? That's what I found. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just why I put 1,000 uh, disclaimers around the word. What it really means is that people can't pick which way the ball's going quite often, yeah. uh, which helps the middle over cricket when, um, you know, four guys are out. Australia don't really have a bowler like that. The closest we have is Zampa, but it, it occurs to me that Rashid mightn't be bowling that well at the moment. Uh, he's a key cog uh, for England. Is, is it worth asking some questions there? Yeah, no, there's definitely a concern there. Actually, Liam Dawson, who was um, a very late call-up to the, to the World Cup squad, you know, he wasn't in the preliminary squad, he wasn't even in that ODI series against Pakistan, but primarily the reason he was called up was because there was an issue with Rashid's shoulder that he had at the start of the season, he picked up in the Caribbean in March during that series there. And yeah, it does kind of seem to be holding him back. He got a couple of wickets, bowling very slowly which might have been a deliberate ploy against the West Indies who were that time were going to go hard at the ball but the fear from um, behind the fear behind the scenes seems to be that because of his shoulder issue he can't actually get that same I suppose whip through as he, as he comes over um, which is something I suppose that you know like you mentioned Alan Zampa there like uh, Rashid is a superior bowler but I think one of Zampa's skills is his ability to move down and Rashid seems to have lost, seems to have lost that snap, and so yeah, it is it is a real worry actually because he is England's England's best spinner, and while Moen Ali can do a job, Moen Ali doesn't really take wickets. Whereas, as you mentioned there, like Rashid's, uh, you know, the reason England do better in the middle overs is because Rashid takes wickets rather than kind of keeps it quiet. Vish, we were um, talking earlier on the podcast about Australia's aura, you know, this late 90s aura that we still, you know, survive and thrive off to today, just off all the, you know, the highlights that we consume on social media um, repeatedly. Does What do you guys in England think of Australia these days? Like, do we still have this aura or is the aura fading? Are you genuinely scared of us or are we kind of a curiosity? Like, what do you think about us? Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'd say it's faded a little bit because there are a generation of England fans now who would be, you know, eighteen, nineteen, who have only, who, who would only have ever seen England lose one home Ashes series. <laughs> yeah, which is mad when you think about it. And even yeah. that Ashes series, they probably weren't, you know, they probably would have been two or three for it. So, as far as they're away, England, England win all their Ashes series at home. They win one in. Uh, you know, in Australia, and you know mm. they've lost a couple, but it's, you know it's no big deal because they've won for how many years at home. Um, for I suppose for for older England fans, that fear is still there. Like mm. I, I see it when I when I watch David Ward, I see it when I watch this. I I have that kind of real fear when I watch Mitchell Stark and and Cummins. You get that? Like Stark has that. Stark is developing that McGrawness about him. He just comes on and you're like, oh, I just 
go away. Just <laughs> <laughs> get on the cricket ball, you know. But I do like the fact that. <laughs> so, like, for it's, it's, I've interviewed this guy a couple of times, and he's really lovely, and he speaks so well about the game, and he's you know not only a great analyst and a great commentator, but he's evidently like a clearly a brilliant coach as well, and he was an incredible player. And just even seeing Ponting in Australian in an Australian tracksuit mm. fills me with a sense of dread. Yeah, <laughs> as it should. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> but I like the idea they're just going to get their band back together. And it's like, right, okay, you know. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a little bit like, it's a little bit like when a kid's being bullied at school and so his dad rocks up to the playground the next day. <laughs> <laughs> we just need and to get Matthew Hayden to the ground. <laughs> yes, yeah, in, the, in those skinny jeans he wore during the BBL. Exactly, yeah, get Matthew Hayden. Get, even get Andy Bickle as well, because people are still scared of him. And he only did one thing, you know, ten, more yeah. than 10 years ago. Yeah, it's a bit of a uh, Manchester United class of 92 approach. Just wheel out the people that made us feel good <clears throat> previously. Oh, oh, it has mm-hmm. no impact on what actually happens mm-hmm. on the ground. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like you know, like Solskjaer not parking in the manager spot because that's for Alex Ferguson. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of kind of like cod bollocks. But I mean, the difference is that this might actually work because it's not working for United. Uh, well, thanks for joining us for the EPL cast, uh, Vish, but also uh, as we walk through Australia, Sri Lanka, Free to Wear TV, and all manner of other things as well. Uh, we'll catch up with you later on the World Cup, mate. Cheers, boys. Thanks for having me. Well, we talk about budgie smugglers quite a lot, gents, uh, and I have something else to throw your way. A lot of talk about Aussie rules in the AFL in Australia this week. When isn't there? They kind of have pre-prepared talking points. They confect controversy whenever uh, they want to dominate the pages, and dominate the pages they do. Budgie smuggler have released AFL smugglers. Boys. Uh, if you're not doing laps in your AFL smugglers, so the line goes, are you even an AFL supporter? Uh, I've said before, I go to MSAC, as they call it, Macquarie Swerth Macquarie, Melbourne Sports and Aquatic Centre. Many of the AFL peripheral players are walking around in budgies. Not necessarily their team budgies, though. Mm. But if you are a, a fan of the aerial ping pong, as they used to call it, mm. uh, then you can, get, you can get budgie smugglers in AFL team colours. That's huge. That's enormous. <laughs> if true, if true, uh, because I was I was stunned into into silence there because uh, I've been doing some uh, some looking up at the budgie underwear as well. I actually didn't know budgie did underwear until I was perusing their website budgiesmuggler dot com today. Many different options there. Sure, you can go for your your, your standard greys uh, if mm. if you need that. There's a blue in there involved. There's also a pink, slightly a little bit more tropical. Oh, tropical. Oh, there's tropical on sale as well. But there's also crispy creams. You guys know my penchant for a donut, uh, a sugary treat. Uh, every now and again, budgie smugglers have got that sorted. Just just covering your junk, just covering up your junk and all sorts of great things. That's let alone that the nice Garys as well. Mm. But uh, budgie smuggler but- underwear, you got the uh, you got the crispy creams there as well. Just fantastic. Just uh, it's just great kit. Mate, it's great. They do kit. they do shirts as well. Like you can even step out. You know, like people used to in the mid two thousands in full Ed Hardy. Like you can mm. step out in full budgie smugglers kit now mm. from top to toe and just mm. own it. Mm. Just own that. Mm. Mm. And unlike Ed Hardy, it actually looks half decent. Budgiesmuggler.com.au Okay, boys, let me just jump straight into this. Let me hop straight into this. 27 tests, 113 wickets, best of seven for average of 23.5 at Tesla. level. took 40-odd wickets and claimed a five from the ODIs as well. 300 first-class wickets at 26, 10 five-wicket hauls there as well. He's been a wisdom cricketer of the year, finished his career with the best strike rate of any Australian bowler to have taken more than 100 test wickets, and he's owner of the ball of the 21st century. I'm talking about Ryan Harris. G'day, Rhino. G'day, boys. How are you? Very well, thank you. Uh, Ryan, uh, Crick Info unflatteringly describes you as a journeyman medium pacer for the first half of your career. So in that vein, what does grade cricket mean to you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I need to get that change. I've been trying to get that change for a few years, to be honest. Oh, look, no, I I was. That's what I was when I started. I was a medium pacer. Sweatband swingers I used to bowl. and um, I was a bit of a party lad when I was a bit younger, so I wasn't the fittest and I wasn't... uh, well, I thought I was a professional cricketer when I was growing up, but I actually wasn't. And I, one day, just the penny dropped, and I started bowling faster. So it was—it was, it was uh, it's probably the right description, to be honest. The way it, uh, the way it started out. So, so Wait, you're so one of these what? guys. 
who's uh, who's literally played a lot of grade cricket before having a very very uh, impressive test career. Can you tell us a little bit about your time playing grade cricket and just how quickly you wanted to get out of there? Mate, <laughs> <laughs> that was all the cricket I had when I was growing up. So grade cricket to me was was that's the well, that's where I learned everything. Um, you know, when when um, I was trying to play more for South Australia, it was all it was all that was what it was, just playing grade cricket. So week in week out, obviously. I, I, I didn't want to be there because I wanted to play the South Australia, but I guess it's a nice way. I always loved playing for my club in Adelaide with Northern Districts. And, uh, and then when I got to Queensland, I played. I actually played a lot because of you know, a few injuries and all that sort of stuff. So well, I did play a lot of great cricket, and it was it was always good fun. You're always trying to help guys out as they're learning as well. But, um, yeah, probably probably more than I really wanted. But, um, you know, as I said, I had to, had to perform to, to get to the next level, and eventually uh, it took a bit of time, but I did it. Is there much of a difference between South Australian grade cricket and Queensland grade cricket, or are men in Australia who play grade cricket just fundamentally the same? <laughs> yeah, fundamentally the same. <laughs> um, yeah, I reckon the only, yeah, the only difference would be is just in Adelaide, the conditions, I reckon the facilities are better. But other than that, everyone's the same. They're all, you know, you get your, you get your diehard um, blokes at your know, you know, late 30s or even, you know, early 40s still playing and, you know, still giving out abuse and, and, and thinking that they're, you know, <laughs> they're still trying to make the state team or still play for Australia when they're really just hanging in because you know, no one else can fill their spot, I guess. But um, yeah, it's always it's both both competitions are very similar. Right, it's 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 hard to sort of go through your career without mentioning the list of injuries. And I, I was going through it today, and it's it's quite astounding. If I could just list a couple. You, Broke, uh, you broke a bone in your ankle in 2010. You obviously had chronic knee injury, which ruled you out for 18 months until 2011, um, which played your entire career. You followed that up with a hip injury in 2011. You had shoulder surgery in 2012. You pulled out of the, uh, the IPL in 2013 with an Achilles injury. That's on top of all the other knocks that we, we don't know about or we haven't heard of. There's also some back trouble in there. Um, so I guess what I'm asking is, what's your favourite thing about CrossFit? No, um, I, 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 want, I want to know, um, yeah, I, I know like, how much you gave your body to the game and, and and what sort of physical pains you've experienced, you know, post-career? Uh, post-career, um, I still struggle to get out of bed. There's, there's times, and as I said then, I referenced the CrossFit, which I had no interest in doing, by the way. I haven't done. I, I trained with Chris, Chris Rogers every now and then when he dragged me into the gym. But So the body's gotten obviously a little bit heavier, which doesn't help the aching, aching bone. But, mm. um, yeah, it's funny hearing all that, all those injuries. Um, it, there, was, there was a few there. Um, Probably the, yeah, probably the worst one. I, I was lucky. I didn't have really any back dramas, which which is good. I had a few injections in my back just for faster joints, just to loosen them up. And I was, as a physio or a doctor used to say, just put a bit of oil in so I could, you know, like putting oil in the car to keep me going. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and it, probably the worst one was um, well, the knee that, that stopped me. But um, yeah. the one where I broke the bone and my ankle, I was oh, I actually had an injection into my in my ankle that that morning because I had I had a bit of something there was something in there that was hurting and I went out a scan and there was nothing on the scan and they just injected it and actually the doctor got it wrong and my whole foot went numb <laughs> so I'm running the bowl stamping my foot as I'm running the bowl to make sure it was still there because I had no idea where I was putting it Cross. Um, and then and then one yeah one ball it just went cracked and I just thought that wasn't good and then uh, I, I sort of I hobbled off um, thankfully because of the um, the local and the quarter zone that was put in there, it hit the pain because when that wore off, I don't think I even felt pain like, well, not having. That was just ridiculous pain. So, mm. um, so I guess it was a positive putting the putting the stuff in in the morning because it it it, uh, it sort of masked what um, what was becoming a bit later on, which wasn't nice. So that was probably the worst one. And then obviously my knee, mm. that was just an ongoing thing. Um, it was actually a, I was a bit of a, a bit of a freak show in in in, in the team room at night because my knee had swell up, so I'd have to have stuff taken out of it most nights after a day's play. Oh, and uh, a few of the boys would get in. We'd say we're doing it. We're doing it at eight o'clock, and they're going to come in and watch it. And it was, uh, <laughs> it was quite, quite, it was quite funny for them. It wasn't funny for me. I was in, I was in agony. <laughs> so, God, man. Oh. You're a really interesting case, Ryan, in that uh, you know your test career kind of coincided with a change in philosophy with Australian cricket, where you know you pretty much needed to be groomed from under nineteen level all the way through to the side. Uh, you debuted at twenty nine, you know, through sheer weight of success at first class level, and like you talked about being a sweatband swinger, and then most of our memories of you are just bowling some of the most beautiful, like beautifully quick and like accurate moving deliveries uh, all over the world. How did you like take your game to the next level? Uh, if I could just ask an earnest question uh, from being a yeah. sweatband swinger to a guy that was just uh, bowled absolute heat, beautiful heat at that. <laughs> yeah. 
as I said, I, I didn't mind it, and I still don't. I can do it now more because I don't have to worry about training. But I loved it here when I was young. I loved going out with my mates. And uh, I probably, as I said, I was contracted to South Australia for about eight years, and I, I, I didn't play many games. I, I, but when I did, um, for instance, on one day, boo in four-day cricket and shield cricket, I got injured. So I, was, you know, I, was, I missed another three or four months because of, of that. But I just got fitter and stronger. And, and uh, Wayne Phillips, who was the old coach down there, who... So him and I had a we're great match now, but we had a love hate relationship. He he wouldn't put me on the training sheet because he wasn't sure if I was injured or if I was playing or if I was training, and he he, he was a bit of he's a bit of a shit stirrer. So he he, he made a, a few different jokes about that, and he just sort of sat me down one day and said, "What do you want to do with your life?" Because I hadn't I'd finished school, but I hadn't really hadn't done anything outside of school. And he said, "If you want to be a professional cricketer, you've probably got to pull your finger out and stop drinking." Um, Stop drinking piss. I probably shouldn't be swearing on this, but and uh, and he said that, that, that's what um, that's what that's what I had to do, and, and I did. I, I went away and worked hard and got fit, and then um, just, I spoke with I was a bowling coach down in Adelaide by the name of Peter Muggleton. He still coaches down there now, and, and he just worked a few things with my technique and and a bit of timing at the crease, and away she went, and that came out pretty well. So that was how I changed. Um, yeah, yeah, sort of from going from that from that sweatband swingers. So uh, yeah, that that was the story. Ryan, um, Pez alluded before to your um, unplayable delivery to Alastair Cook in the Ashes some years ago. Did you know that it's being used by some more progressive doctors as a way of curing erectile dysfunction? (laughs) (laughs) Very good. (laughs) Yeah, it's... (laughs) <laughs> I'll tell you what I've heard it referred to a lot of things but not that so that's quite good it's a new one um, <laughs> uh, obviously that's, I get that um, a lot not 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 uh, very good that obviously but uh, every now and then it just pops up on the Facebook feed and a few mates always <laughs> tag me in it but um, <laughs> it, mate, it, took, it took me it took me 15 quickly years to find the ball that ball <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's quite funny that ball Ryan because like uh, uh, yeah, Pez said before that like it's been alluded to as ball of the century. Um, obviously, Shane Warne has the previous ball of the century uh, for his ball against Mike Gatting. But like, and like every year, Shane Warne posts on social media saying, "I can't believe it's been X years since this thing happened." Even though he does it for the exact, <laughs> the exact same post for twenty seven years in a row. So I just want to know how you're going to celebrate <laughs> the sixteenth of December each year, and can I have some gloves? <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. No, no. I, I must admit, I, I don't. I'm not like that. I don't post them. As I said, I get people that do it enough for me. So, and I don't tell them to. Let me let me put that out there. So I don't ring my mates and say, "Can you post that ball again?" Because I'm in a bit of um, bit of coverage. But, uh, <laughs> I don't do that. Um, but I, it's fascinating you say that. I, I don't. I just. I've never. I don't sort of do I'm, I'm not great at posting on social media. It's something I, I love reading and seeing. But to be honest with you, the only time is when I post is when I've been watching the footy and I've had a few beers and I don't like the umpiring. It's probably the only time I don't post on social media. So I'm not allowed to do that these days because it's not the AFL will probably ban me. I don't know to talk about umpires these days. Um, yeah, you go, Dave. Oh, I was just going to say, you, I mean, you mentioned it before, Pez. I mean, Ryan, you came into the side quite late. In, in many ways, oh, you were yeah. kind of the mature age student of Australian cricket. Um, did this kind of manifest itself in the way that you conducted yourself around the team? You know, like, kind of like a mature age student does at university, like completing work ahead of schedule or just correcting books, mistakes publicly, you know, befriending the younger blokes to try and feel cool and relevant? Or, or, or did you kind of just bring your life lessons into the squad and kind of assume that role? Oh, no, definitely not. Because, I mean, I did. I got in trouble a few times for it tweeting when I was pissed and all that sort of stuff so I wasn't I definitely wasn't a role model <laughs> <laughs> <A few blokes. laughs> I guess the, the I mean the positive for me and, and sorry I didn't answer that before when you when you asked that question about the, the young guys sort of coming through and being groomed under the 9 level that, that I mean I, that's what I do now that's the job now it's sort of what I help do and and I don't I didn't believe we, we made massive change as, as you mentioned um a few years ago now that we, we just wanted to have to put everyone there that was young so anyone on the side of 25 was, was up too old to play and I guess I proved that that wasn't right and um, I, I still didn't 100% agree with it there was obviously a, you know we lost a, a, fair, fair, a fair few players that, that were pretty good players and I think there was a bit of panic there that the, the talent coming through wasn't wasn't going to cover what, what we had and, and to be honest if you lose a Ponting, Hussey uh, Hayden, Langer um, not many countries and not many places around the world where you can replace those sort of guys so you know they, they were, they were, they were well, well champion players so and, and then obviously that all came in and, and we lost um, oh, I reckon we lost a, a number of cricketers potentially um, and I've had this I've had this argument with Chris Rogers a lot that you know a lot of guys around that 25, 26 that weren't getting necessarily picked in second 11 cricket because they were 
you know, because they're, they're going younger. And I, I didn't necessarily agree with that. And I think we've, I actually think we've lost a generation of cricketers and suffered a bit. So, and then, yeah, me coming in at 29, I guess I proved that wrong. And, uh, yeah, I definitely, I didn't come in with words of wisdom to the bloke, so I just came in. What did help me, I guess, is, it was always um, probably nerve, nerves, excitement, nerves going into games. I wasn't always like I didn't lose sleep over um, you know, before my first test or or before my first one day game. So I probably was a little bit older. So that's probably where it got me the most. Um, speaking of. Uh uh, questions that have come in from some of your colleagues who remain anonymous, Ryan. Uh, you famously <laughs> shed some tears uh, when you announced your retirement. I'm actually personally a big supporter of men crying, so full respect. Um, this happened <laughs> yes. more, but I have asked some colleagues for questions, suggestions. It was put to me that your crying actually served a double purpose. Um, first, it was a great expression of emotion, I'm making that clear. Second, um, just to make it technically correct that you never actually retired because you couldn't speak yep. through the tears. Um, just to contribute <laughs> for this question, uh, are you, is there any chance you might be making a comeback to the body feeling a bit better you've never retired yeah no it's funny because that anonymous person who you were talking about actually he told that story last night I was early in last night I had a few days in last night and he told that same story so he still gets <laughs> down to me when you're going to retire because you haven't um, you haven't you haven't announced it so um, that, that was an amazing day I have to admit I, I um, you know, obviously it happened quite quickly um, with my knee and everything and um, the decision was made obviously once I had a scan and everything like that um, we won't go into all those details but um, yeah um, Darren Darren sort of said Wolf said to me you, you might want to tell the boys because they were all asking what's going on and I said yep yeah, no, no worries I'm, you know, I was obviously shattered with what had happened but I thought I was okay to do it and then we all got into the room at, uh, it was at Chelmsford in, in England in Essex and um, I was all ready to go and then as soon as he went over to me that was it it was like, the, it was like when someone hit me in the, on the big toe I just I couldn't stop crying <laughs> just, <laughs> it just the waterworks started and I couldn't get my word back because I was just obviously I was shattered that the way that it ended and going into a big series but um yeah, as as, uh, as you said, that person um, he he brings it up quite often that that story and uh, he reminds me of it and, and keeps saying you've got to um, you still got to put you still got to put your final statement out that you've retired. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've obviously um, since moved into coaching, Ryan, and, and uh, yourself and Adam Voges are assisting on the A tour uh, over to England, uh, happening in about a month's time, or well, actually a couple of weeks' time now. Um, it's obviously a yep. really strong squad that you're going, especially the four day squad. It's um, basically the test team. Um, obviously, Josh Hazelwood is there. Uh, he's vice captain of the A. They scored, and he's you know made some noise about not being picked in the World Cup. But I mean, he must be absolutely itching to play in the Ashes now. He is. He's he's obviously yeah, very disappointed that he's not in that World Cup squad, and mm. um, he, he just missed out. He probably he wasn't back from his injury. Uh, just uh, well, he didn't have enough time, really enough bowling under his belt. So uh, yeah, so I caught, caught up with him last week. They, they're over there now. They've got a one day component of that tour right. as well, and um, yeah, he's 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 pretty pretty um, excited about the Ashes. He probably didn't, wasn't at his best last time they were over there, so he, he's, I think he, in his mind he's got a point to prove um, at the way he performs in those conditions. So, But I, watching him, he obviously trained a bit during the week last week, and he's he's back to, he's just gliding in, he's got beautiful approaching, the, and he just lets him go, and he's going fast. So, um, yeah, look, he, he's he's really excited about that, and I know he's excited about getting home and playing some white ball cricket as well, because you just never know. Hopefully it doesn't happen, but if we've already had one injury. If there's another injury to a quick, and I'm sure he'd do the next one in. So, uh, yeah, it's exciting to see where he's at. Kind of hope there's an injury. What? Um, uh, no, you should never do that. You should never hope for an injury. I don't know. So, misadventure. Who knows? Uh, look, it's been suggested also, Ryan, that um, I mean, you talk about needing to clean up your personal profile online in all sort of clean ways, but it does say on your Wikipedia page that you studied earth sciences at Wadham College, Oxford University. Um, so I did. It says that. I know. Um, I got sent that again from that anonymous person about three hours ago, and uh, I don't know where that's come from because I had, I hadn't said I haven't been to uni, I haven't studied Oxford, and I don't know. Um, like, um, like he said at the time, he said you, you put your own, you make yourself up on your own Wikipedia page. I wouldn't even know how to change Wikipedia. Because there are some big questions in earth sciences, you know, like how climate change affects forests mm. and dry land vegetation and <laughs> atmospheric composition, or, or indeed the biggest one in earth sciences is there life on any other planetary body in our solar system? Yeah, exactly. like water, water, no water, no water, water, no water, no water, what you're talking about. Yeah, we'll shame no water you're yeah, apparently I'm the expert in it, so I should know exactly what you're talking about there, but I've got no idea. So evolution, yes or no? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not even answer to that either. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Fox Sports headline tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Just, just quick, just quickly, Ryan, on uh, on the World Cup and the Ashes. I mean, how do you feel like Australia's going in the World Cup? Uh, there's there's a lot of people coming out saying that you know while they've got a lot of world class players, they just seem to be a little bit beneath England and India. Would you agree with that? Do you think they've got the game style there to do some damage in the semis and the final? Yeah, I definitely do. I, I, I've sort of been. I've been looking at a couple of the media reports around the, the team, and they haven't. There's no way they've played anywhere near their best yet. But they, it's almost like some of the reports that are coming out just frustrate me. Like last night or the other day, we wake up and and um, you know we scraped home um, against Pakistan by 40, 31 runs. We played India a couple a couple of days before, and we got thumped apparently, and that was only by what 24 runs. So <laughs> the, the, the reports that are coming out, we you know we, we're going pretty good. I think we're going well, and I think Justin Langer said it during the week that. We're not even close to playing our best yet, so um, you know we, we we sort of we got close to India. Um, I do think I mean see India and um, and England are the ones that, uh, that we're chasing. I think, but I still think we're definitely um, uh, can we can beat them if it comes to the crunch finals. You know the experience that we've got in those sort of finals will hopefully go over the top, and especially England would be nice. Well, they're saying that it would be it'd be amazing. You know England Australia World Cup final and then going into the Ashes. The heck would that be? I reckon that'd be the the launch into the into the summer with the Ashes, I reckon, would be magnificent. So I, I I think we've got the game to do it. Uh, as I said, we just we haven't um, we haven't probably played our best yet, and you know we, we've always we've had one batsman probably fire in each game. The bowlers looks like they fired the other night. I haven't seen all the highlights, but um, yeah, we're not far away. I don't think. Ryan, uh, thanks very much for joining us on the Great Cricketer for enduring all manner of questions there about your uh, career, Earth Sciences, evolution, uh, and um, <laughs> no and otherwise. Pre- appreciate your time, mate. We'll catch up with you soon. Yeah, cheers, boys. Thanks very much. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Just before we slide back into hashtag AskTGC, gents, um, I tell you what, some of the questions that have been coming, it's been coming red hot, some great questions rolling in. So um, I'm looking forward to deep diving some of these uh, ridiculous issues uh, coming up. But uh, it would be remiss of us not to mention the live shows coming up. I keep calling it the, the Great Cricketer World Tour, and that's exactly what it is. Melbourne coming up first, July 25. The Corner Hotel tickets still are available for that gig. The Sydney show the following week, that's on the 31st of July at the Comedy Store. Tickets are available, though half those tickets are gone. We're not making an announcement just yet, are we, about the guests um, that we've got, uh, but the guests are good. You're going to really enjoy the guests. And that's before we head over to the UK. We're doing Birmingham, Leeds, Manchester, London, and London. Um, just, just some great shows coming up, and the guests are phenomenal. Phenomenal, phenomenal, because I'm looking forward to it. GreatCricketer.club is where you get the tickets for all of these live shows. Come along. They're not going to be released as podcasts because, um, as Pez has said in the past, we got about 15 minutes into the Adelaide show of the Australian tour last year, and uh, we were going to release them as podcasts, and then he goes, no, this is, this is way too fun. This is way too loose uh, for us to be um, releasing this as a podcast they're own separate thing we've got a new show it's a different show to the Australian tour we did over the summer just gone the southern summer so it's a new show new material uh, guests are going to be fantastic they're always good fun it's a loose night out bring your mates along bring your girlfriends along ladies we want to see you all there um, the venues are terrific uh, I don't know anything else to say Club is where you get your tickets they're about I think about 20 quid about 20 pounds for the UK shows 40 bucks for your uh, for your Australian shows 60 for VIP if you want to come and meet and great afterwards best seats in the house as well greatcricketer.club I've been speaking for way too long anyone want to say anything about the, the live shows no you just nailed it it was good it was wandering but you got all the information out there and I'm really happy with it so let's move along to Ask TGC I reckon Morris Lester we, we can confirm in case uh, people are wondering and I'm sure many are that we are going up against uh, an evening with Jeffrey Boyle <laughs> uh, that's true London show so we can confirm that he will just not just an evening barely seems like enough uh... Morris Lester writes in says that great cricketer the chest pipes and rigs of Sri Lanka are an absolute mess is Dwayne Leverock Dwayne Leverock fuck me Ian Dwayne Leverock their fitness coach is Dwayne Leverock the fitness coach of Sri Lanka 
Is this guy fucking Errol Flynn riding in? <coughs> is Schwarzenegger? I think. Uh, I think Morris um, Lester. What's his name? Ang- Angelo Matthews has a great rig. I think a couple of the Sri Lankans are quite good looking boys, mm. good looking blokes. Mm. To be honest, there's, I think there's a couple of roosters. I did in that side. I, I did think that um, Lasset Malinga has has he's ready for retirement. He's yes, he's been rocking that same aesthetic for like 15 years. Like mm. kind of the the blonde tips, is it, mm. or like the the roots have really grown Macy out? Gray. Mm. Yeah, the Macy Gray. Yeah. Why haven't we spoken about the eye ring? Like no other international cricketer has an eye ring. I reckon if Mitchell Stark mm. wasn't a cricketer, he'd probably have one. You're talking about an eyebrow ring. I had an eyebrow ring in um, my early twenties while playing grade cricket. Got a lot of sledging over it. <laughs> you're bold. He goes. I mean, you're the you're the um, arbiter of chest pipes and rigs. So, uh, I mean, Sri Lanka is an absolute mess, according to Morris Lester, who actually has um, a profile pic that doesn't reveal who it is. <laughs> it's an egg. Um, yeah, there's not many athletes. That's fair to say. Uh, that's that. That's a that's a fair statement. There, there are no athletes in the Sri Lankan side. So are they an absolute mess? I don't. Know. I mean, Dwayne Leverock was a mess, wasn't he? I mean, what a what a catch! Like, let's not let's not, let's not take away from that. He's a hot mess. <laughs> but I mean, I don't. They just Sri Lanka are just blokes just having a go at this point. I mean, they're a terrible team. They're just blokes having a go. <laughs> Mate, they're having a go. Mate, they're having a go. Blokes having a go. So disrespectful. Just blokes going. The international side. Uh. All right. Uh, official Dame C says, mm. "Can Mitch Marsh really be our saviour? And why am I feeling better now that he is replacing Stoinis?" Well, I can't uh, say why you're feeling the way you are, official Dame Fear C. Of change. Uh, I, I think, well, yes. Yeah, I mean, Stoinis hit 140 on a postage stamp a few years ago, and what's he done since? You know, that's the, like, really oversimplified, smug oversimplified explanation of him. So anything sounds good, you know, in relation to Stoinis at the moment, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Can Mitch Marsh be our saviour? Probably not. Yeah, Stoinis' stocks are low right now. Don't kick him while he's down. He's still got a tremendous rig. And one of the best salads going around. Can I ask, like, what the what the rules are around like squads? Because you had to like, there's a 15 man squad that went over to the World Cup, right? But then Mitch Marsh is just over there. He's in the dressing room. He's clapping Aaron Finch, getting his 150. He's getting his face out there. And then we learned that, like, from Ryan Harris, that like, you know, Josh mm. Josh Hazelwood's going to be over there for the World Cup on the eight. So have some bit of white ball cricket. You know, if someone gets injured, you know, he could be in the squad. Like, how many, can you just have like good 30 blokes in the squad? Just like, get everyone over there. Sounds like there's just so many. Yeah, like if someone gets injured, anyone can go over there. So I mean, Josh Hazelwood was devastated not to be there, but he could easily be, very much be there yeah. if there is another injury. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what the policy is. Mm. Someone tell Theoretically, us. Theoretically, we're all available for selection. Okay. Uh, Rory Baldwin writes, "Dear TGC, I am living my life wholly encumbered by the deflating pressure to be the biggest in any given room or social gathering." I'm a decent-sized bloke and quite boisterous. I'd say I have approximately a 50% chance of being the top alpha in any group containing five or less blokes. In those frequent situations when I find myself number two or lower in the pecking order, I find myself resentful of anyone possessing bigger pipes, broader shoulders, or just generally relegating me to the gathering of berries whilst he comes together for the tribe, engages in warfare and other biologically masculine activities, which I'm evidently not worthy of participating in. How do I deal with my discomfort around anyone manlier than myself and dispel my pathetic need to dominate my friends and those around me. Yours truly, the moderator. <laughs> Good question. Amazing. I feel like um, one thing in the uh, in the fitness world, which isn't spoken about enough, is that like you, you'll never be happy. You know, like you, mm. you might have you, you, might, you might you might have the physique that you've always dreamed of, but then you might get there and you're like, I prefer to be a bit bigger. And, like, that's kind of not dissimilar to the alpha, you know. Like, you could be the most alpha, but then you'll come across, like, another alpha from, like, a different team or a different mm. sect in society, and you're like, oh, maybe, maybe he's more alpha. I want to be that alpha. But you're never going to be happy. So um, the answer is quick cricket. <laughs> he's too socially aware to be a true alpha. He's always going to be a number two or three alpha, as he says, you know. <laughs> the top two in a group containing five or less blokes. Um <laughs> You've got to shoot but for number know, one like, if you're a true like, alpha. We've talked about the evolution of alpha as well. And, like, you know, this recent Australian federal election 
you know, helped us realise that industries need to change and, like, humans need to change if the entire species is to survive. Mm. And, like, alphas, you know, have they evolved over time? Like, have we, have we moved away from the kind of, like, you know, the, the like, you know, the, the Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin kind of, like, super mm. alpha guy mm. uh, to something, you know, where, where, say, like, you know, is Zuckerberg alpha? No. <laughs> I mean, he's pretty much running this whole thing. Like, is the nerd alpha? Nerd alpha, Elon Musk, I mean, yeah, smartest exactly, man in the room kind of shit. Elon, Exactly. Like, is is that changing in cricket as well, or is like, I mean, there's been an evolution away from the hawkish alpha kingdom, uh, you know, with Lehman leaving as well, going yeah, into you know the, the yeah. Side I know what you're saying don't talk as much shit. Sorry, but yeah, I, I know I know what you're saying, but like, even look at like the nerds. Like, you look at your Jeff Bezos, for instance. You know, um, but like, he he just got jacked, and now he's massive, and so he's like mm. he, he's got like the physical alpha presence over like the smartest guy in the room syndrome kind of thing. You know, like massively wealthy, but yeah. also just ripped. So like, I still think there's there's always going to be a place for like the guy with the biggest arms the biggest chest um never the biggest and all those guys like they were physically quite weak initially like if you look at back at you know old old photos of yeah bezos and musk you know as like Mm. nerdy kids in their late Mm. teens early 20s holding like a pc for some kind of (laughs) some kind of promo photo like as they can get as big and as rich as they want but those photos are still on google image and i will search them and hold them to it um, okay. This one's from Aaron Eccles. Um, hi, boys. Probably. Oh, <laughs> this one's from A. Eccles, or Aaron E., should I say. Um, <laughs> I've just started reading, and he says he wants to be anonymous. Should I just continue reading? Can we cut this out? Uh, I think just start it again. Okay. Uh, here's a clap. Uh, here's one from someone who wishes to remain anonymous. Um, hi, boys. Listening to Pissgate this morning awoke some deeply repressed memories from my younger years. Let's say I was 18, just so this doesn't sound even more than a pissy assault. I'd broken through to my club's first team in the Lancashire Leagues of Northwest England, brackets number three, batsmen meaning one or two good-looking 20s a year, close brackets. I would usually get changed after the match and go home to shower before the circuit, but the first team's alpha was constantly on at players to become team members and shower with the team after a match. Obviously, the jokes were that those not showering were scared slash embarrassed of being emasculated in the showers. Finally, after a build-up, I stepped into the showers where the team's alpha pissed all over my feet with cheers from all other teammates who'd kept quiet about this alpha ritual. The strange turn that this story takes is that the team's alpha was my uncle. Even more fucked up was the fact that my other uncle was in the team and knew as did my father who put it down to character building. I played a few grade games for Elwood during a year working in Melbourne brackets broke my foot after four games from kicking a Yorker I didn't see and was surprised to find out that pissing on teammates in the shower was seen as a big no-no and almost a beta move. Perhaps this ritual only happens in England but my question is this the alpha uncle has a son who was just getting into cricket. Alpha no longer plays after getting married and having kids. Do I encourage my young cousin to play for the same local team, knowing that if he breaks into the first team, he will be pissed on by the newest Alpha following a legacy? Do I piss on my uncle at Christmas as a form of revenge? Or do I be the better person and warn said cousin to never play grade cricket as it will consume his life watching it piss down in June before he gets pissed on in the showers? (laughs) Cheers, boys. Looking forward to seeing you at the Manchester show this summer. A lot going on there. Not a lot of fluctuation. Um, so just for those who don't know what happened last last um, podcast episode, the question came in about um, I forget the actual question, but basically someone was urinating another person in the shower, um, mm. and uh, so this is a this is a thing that's been going on. I spoke about it last time. Um, I've seen it happen a couple of times. Uh, yep. It's definitely a thing that mm. the, uh, yeah. that that men seem to do. I think it's probably been you know weaned out, uh, so to speak over the years mainly because people don't shower anymore and that's a different issue um i think the answer is to quit cricket <laughs> it was a really big thing at one of the clubs that i played at that's where he goes right yeah it just i, I mean i don't know it's very very um primal isn't it it is primal. territorial power play mm. Is. I mean, it's what dogs do. It's, this is my territory. Yeah, I've marked it with my urine, so it's mine. Mm. Go away. Um, yeah, the double down of literally pissing on his uncle at Christmas as a form of revenge is a hell of an image mm. as well. Uh, I mean, it's yeah, it's hard to know. It, it has to be to quit cricket, doesn't it, from a moral standpoint? Mm. 
because once he once the young cousin plays cricket, it's a whole. It's a completely. It's a very complex ecosystem he has to navigate mm. there. I yeah. um, it's about the, the the young cousin as well. He might have the kind of you know you can see this in kids. Is is this kid got the mentality to? To, to handle his way in the jungle as a perhaps a, perhaps an alpha himself. I um, am an uncle uh, a couple of times over, not to make this question now about me, but but I'm just trying to think of like my relationship will ever develop to the point where I would feel happy and comfortable to one, still be playing cricket at that age for another sort of 20 years, but then to then piss on my nephew. That's fucking weird. That's a really, I didn't think I'd be saying that on a Sunday evening. Uh, well said. At the end of this podcast, but that is like I—I I don't know. I mean, is that? Am I not close enough with my family? Mm. <laughs> do, I, do I have to? And then to have your sibling no. put it down to character building to to their child. <laughs> yeah. You know. Why did he goes do? Why did Uncle Higos do that? Oh, it's just you know, it's building your character. Yeah. Well said. Austin Murphy writes in he says hi guys and ask TGC from a long time listener. Rarely miss it, but if I have missed the following please forgive me i'm sure you guys have noticed something that the host broadcaster of the world cup has done to their cricket coverage that i feel has gone under the radar what i'm specifically referring to is if a bowler hasn't taken any five wickets in odi cricket the broadcaster has lowered the metric of recognition and now shows a three wi column with best bowling accompanying eg4 for 42 for batsmen if someone hasn't been good enough to score 100 instead of having an arbitrary columns of 50s and 100s, which will obviously show zero in the 100s column, it shows a 30s and 50s column, with 30 somehow now the mark for an underperforming batsman to get some recognition, as it always has been down at our level. My question is threefold. One, is the prevalence of the 30s column a further example of everyone gets a ribbon nanny state that we've become when no one's feelings can get hurt in order to not upset the centuryless hacks? Or two, has the great cricketer's influence reached an international level whereby the success of a batsman should be measured against how many 30s he's made, yuck or otherwise? And three, most importantly, do you think my cricket will also make this change? Would love your thoughts. Love the show. Keep chopping from Austin. Thank you, Austin, for that uh, very well thought out question. Um, thoughts? Well, it kind of cuts against the grain of uh, like the rise in right wing politics and conservatism, and just the general like focus on the individualist and capitalist society. It's quite a collectivist idea because like what sits underneath, like the true reason why they're putting in thirties and threefers or whatever is that like they've worked out in short form cricket as we've discussed at length that like it doesn't really matter how many runs you get, like everyone should be able to get the runs. It's how fast you get them. Right, that's what England's doing anyway. Australia's still pretty beholden to the individual milestone, but like it does cut against the grain of uh, like conservatism and individualist, uh, you know, focus on mm. in, in a capitalist society. And, and I just wonder if this kind of does point to a rise in collectivism. You know, whether Alexandria Ocasio Cortez is hmm. the future for the United States. You know, whether <laughs> political activism will swing to the left, and whether cricket is actually leading that charge. Mm. I think it shows a regression in society that we're now recognizing 30s i mean i i'm all about individual milestones regardless of the sport you know michael jordan kobe bryant these are guys who scored points um let's not focus on you know things like assists or or other metrics um i i I don't like seeing that people have hit 30s I, i don't like seeing it on my television screen in the form of a graphic um i'm I'm a little bit worried about where society is going, where where this data point is becoming so meaningful. Um, I, I don't know if it is a, an example of everyone gets a ribbon nanny state that he contends that it is, um, and that we're doing it to avoid people's feelings getting hurt of these professional cricketers. Uh, maybe our influence has reached international. Maybe maybe we've achieved real cut through here. Austin, as ever, the answer is quick cricket. Um, thank you very much to Ryan Harris for joining the show, to Vitushan Hantharaja for, for joining the show, for Sam Perry and Dave Edwards. We'll see you next time on the Great Cricketer Podcast.